0: In a relationship with healthy compassion going both directions, you still have boundaries and you can still be clear with your partner about what it is that you want and what you expect. But if as long as this compassion is actually happening both ways in the relationship, there's also like a certain trust that my partner isn't going to just do as much as they can get away
1: with.
0: On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about what the world needs now. And no, it is not love, sweet love. It's compassion. Compassion is related to empathy, but it's a little bit different. And so in this episode, we're going to be discussing what it means, why it's important to practice both with our loved ones and with everyone, and then a little bit about how to actually do it in real life, even though it can be hard. So how to the
2: compassion?
0: Yeah, how to do it?
2: Daisy wrote down a really nice Dalai Lama quote here. Oh
0: yeah, let me let me read some Dalai Lama here.
2: Your best That's friend, it. you yeah, my, out with Dalai
0: Lama. Oh yeah, I forgot my, that you guys were friends. You were right. buds, my yeah. close personal friend who I saw across the stadium <laughs> once. If you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. And you know what? Well, there you go. D-money, as I call him. It's true. <laughs> it's true. He knows what he's talking about. He's Goodness.
2: keeping it on the DL.
1: Or maybe yeah.
0: D-not money? Uh, yeah, see, I don't know. That yeah, seems like oh, a yeah, to... he,
2: wouldn't, he
1: wouldn't do any money.
2: How <laughs> about be like D-dog? D- D-dog. I
1: D- feel
2: <laughs> like D-happiness. I don't know. It needs something mm. kind of... Yeah. Uh, something that doesn't sound very cool, ultimately.
1: Mm -hmm. right right i'm
0: like working
2: title working title someone Uh give us a better
1: one
0: uh, in the comments yeah we'll workshop it later we can start
2: with the d llama and just start actually. yeah yeah yeah
0: Yeah. so so anyway d llama he knows what he's talking about i'm going to read it one more time if you want others to be happy practice compassion if you want to be happy practice compassion hashtag truth That was the last part of his quote. It got cut out from where they wrote it online, but I'm sure he said (laughs) hashtag truth right after. Hashtag truth.
2: Signed, sincerely, D-Lama. Yeah. All right. Uh, So what is it that we mean that the D-Lama means by the word compassion? Um, Well, this is what I can tell you from Wikipedia. Uh, Compassion is an emotion that is a sense of shared suffering most often combined with a desire to alleviate or reduce the suffering of another or to show special kindness to those who suffer. Compassion essentially arises through empathy and is often characterized through actions, wherein a person acting with compassion will seek to aid those they feel compassionate for. So I guess what strikes me about this particular definition is that there's a lot of emphasis on... Uh, suffering? The direction... Well, suffering, but kind of the direction going from you towards other people. It's a lot of focus on other people's suffering. Hmm.
1: Hmm.
0: And I think it's that's sort of the key difference between it and something like empathy or sympathy, which is more just about kind of either imagining what the other person is feeling or feeling the same thing that someone else is feeling. And this is more specifically about identifying how we share suffering, in a way, and then seeking to alleviate the suffering in others. Um, so yeah, I, I do, do think that's yeah key part to it.
1: Yeah, like it's a an all-encompassing feeling of like, we're all in this together to a degree, that there is a sense of challenge that the world kind of puts on us as a, a collective people. And so when you think about somebody, maybe, I don't know, being an asshole in a moment, You can say to yourself, well, they probably have something going on. Like they probably have some sort of suffering that they're going through. So maybe I need to be compassionate for them in that moment.
0: Well, so yeah, what are some examples of compassion?
1: Well, supporting someone who is upset, like a friend or a family member or your
0: loved one. Right. I think that's a clear one because it's like you know the suffering, it's clear, you Mm -hmm. see it, and you're supporting them. However, that is, right, by helping them with chores or just being a shoulder for them to cry on or, you know, something. But we all kind of I think we can get that one right of like you're supporting someone who is very clearly suffering about something specific.
1: Yeah. And on a larger scale, you could do something like organizing or donating to support victims of a disaster, like disaster relief, mm-hmm. refugee relief, anything along those lines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's like not just someone that's directly connected to you. Mm-hmm. But someone further away, but you're still moved to want to do something to alleviate that suffering.
2: Yeah. Or volunteering.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I guess I think about, you know, I guess a pretty classic example of if, you know, your neighbor has a death in the family of like cooking for them yeah. for a while. Mm you know, bringing stuff over to them or, or doing things for them um, or, or not. Or I think the, the other approach being like giving someone space and time when, you know, mm. they're going through something really hard. Um, well, that could be a partner. I guess that could be a neighbor that could be some, you know, someone uh, further, further along the six degrees of separation, I suppose.
0: Right. I suppose it could look, you know, it could look something like, uh, say that neighbor was on a committee with you in the neighborhood and you like, Don't enforce those deadlines on them that you had for this project Mm -hmm. you are working on. You're like, let me pick up some of the extra slack or like,
1: let's not worry about getting that done right this second. It's all right. Uh, An example you wrote down was offering to help someone carry their groceries. But right now I know, for example, people who are immunocompromised friends of theirs are going out and actually buying groceries so Mm -hmm. that they themselves don't have to go into a potentially, you know, bad place that might give them an infectious disease. So things like that are good for this period in time, for example.
0: Yeah, I think what I like about that example of carrying groceries is uh, this is not carrying groceries for a friend or for your mom or someone else. This is for a stranger. Like if you Hmm. see they're struggling or something, what I like about it in terms of our discussion about compassion is it shows that it's for a stranger. And I also like that it. when we talk about this definition of compassion that has a lot to do with shared suffering and then also this desire to alleviate suffering, that suffering, and this sounds like a downer, but it really covers this very broad range from sort of an acute specific sort of suffering, like we said earlier, you know, the death of a loved one or being sick or something that's like clearly suffering that we all can look at and go, yep, that's suffering, I know that one. To the these like little, everyday, somehow seemingly insignificant sufferings that we all experience to different degrees and more or less at different times. Um, but something like being stressed out because you're running late or You know, you have all these groceries and no one's no one in your family was able to help you or you're having to do this by yourself and it's too much for you to carry or right. It's just like these little things. And I love that this concept of seeing that we all suffer is really beautiful because you see it's this whole spectrum from these tiny little minute things all the way to something very catastrophic.
2: Right. Okay. So yeah, along that spectrum are, you know, the tiny everyday sufferings of uh commute in traffic, you know, right. what's that?
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> of like the aches and pains that come up from having a human body, um, people being rude to you, fielding rejection, you know, either romantically or sexually or professionally or whatever. Um, I think there's also the more subtle things like uh guilt and shame Mm -hmm. you know suffering from the guilt and shame of like having made a mistake or slipped up in some kind of way or the guilt and shame of treating someone not very well in your past or things like that um or or you know also the guilt and shame that comes along with rejection you know rejection itself is not just painful in itself it's also the guilt that comes along with it um
0: i love that you mentioned shame too because it you know, we've talked in the past, I think before about how guilt and shame are these kind of different, different sorts of things. But like, even the suffering can come from these internalized feelings of shame we have about just like being who we are. If that's not something that we were taught was acceptable, or that we think is acceptable, or that we worry, maybe it's not.
2: Well, newsflash for you. Good news. Uh, We're going to do an episode about shame. Oh, cool. All right. Well, right. We'll, we'll, y'all, we'll... y'all don't even know about this yet. But yeah, I have a guest booked already and everything. It'll be oh, great. I love that it. Way. Okay, great. Okay. Well, stay um,
1: tuned for that in the future. Yeah.
2: <laughs> anyway, I think what strikes me about thinking about the whole spectrum of possible suffering that we go through as human beings, which seems like an endless list. But what strikes me is that it seems to me that it's easier to be compassionate to ourselves and maybe also to others as well. But I think mostly it's easier to be compassionate to ourselves when there's like, quote unquote, big suffering, you know, like the loss mm-hmm. of a job or the loss of a loved one or something like that. Like um, injury or
0: sickness or something.
2: Injury. I mean, some people I think still struggle with that for sure, offering self-compassion even in those times. But I feel it's harder for these everyday little things to offer compassion for those things.
0: Yeah, Definitely. Like I'm thinking about the the guilt and shame ones specifically. Like those are mm-hmm. ones I know for me, for myself, a very hard time being compassionate with myself about those feelings. Whereas I might cut myself some slack if I'm sick or if something, you know, really stressful has happened. But if I'm, if those feelings are coming up, it's harder to cut myself slack for those.
1: Yeah, so when we're looking at compassion, it is a big deal in the world. Like, there are a ton of articles out there written about it. Uh, and people have been teaching it, like the Dalai Lama, maybe in his previous lifetimes and now too, uh, for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And we also may yeah, discuss Shambhala's Sacred Path of the Warrior. When was that written, Jace? Do you recall?
0: Oh, it's pretty recent. It was in the, in okay. the 20th century. Yeah. In the not, 20th not century, yeah.
1: Yeah. uh, But it's been taught for for millennia, definitely, many millennia. But Mm -hmm. there has recently been more research actually done on it. And unfortunately, there's – well, maybe fortunately or unfortunately, wherever you lie on that spectrum, there are no drugs to sell that just give you compassion. So there is – less funding out there for studies being done on that specifically, but the results that we do get from these studies are really interesting. So there was a study done in 1998 on the impact of a new emotional self-management program on stress, emotions, heart rate variability, DHEA, and cortisol. And it was published in the Integrative Physiological and Behavioral, Behavioral Science. It's a hard title Behavioral. to say, isn't it? I know. It's just multiple challenging words yeah. at once. So it studied 45 participants and measured their DHEA and cortisol levels as well as the nervous system. So what's DHEA? Yeah. So DHEA
0: is a hormone that's produced as part of the adrenal gland Mm -hmm. the adrenal system and it's sort of a precursor to a lot of other very fundamental hormones like testosterone and estrogen and stuff like that it's something that peaks kind of in early adulthood and then sort of declines as we get older and uh, a lack of it is associated with a lot of things having to do with aging also potentially depression or osteoporosis or various other things
1: Having more of it is good in terms of anti-aging.
0: Right. There have been some mixed results in terms of DHEA supplements, but having higher natural DHEA is generally considered a good thing. Yeah.
1: I see. Okay. Well, this study had one group practice compassion exercises, and that group found a 23 percent reduction in cortisol and a 100 percent increase in DHAEA, which is a t- that's a lot. That's amazing. One hundred percent. Goodness. Right. Uh, compared to the control group, which wasn't practicing these compassion exercises. Right. And they scored more highly only on positive effect scales. Positive affect.
0: Scales. Affect. Just kind of about your like emotional well-being. Um, yeah. So it's. This study has some limitations. This is one that when people talk about compassion, they love to whip this out because the numbers are staggering, right? This 100% increase in DHEA and this 23% reduction in cortisol. It was only 45 people though. Only 45 people, which means in this particular study, 15 people were the control group and 30 were the study group that was doing these, uh, you know, mindfulness and compassion exercises. So, you know, it's a small study. However... They're pretty remarkable results, regardless, so there's at least something here, even if even if you couldn't guarantee that this would be exactly true for everybody.
2: yeah, I'm kind of surprised by these results i mean, I guess on the surface, I'm like, oh yeah, wow, that I guess that makes sense, you know, like if you're just more compassionate and more loving and more empathetic, like it makes sense that you'd get kind of these um these benefits, i suppose i I guess that I guess it's it's really good marketing to say that compassion helps you stop aging. <laughs> very good marketing. I don't know I whom, think about but... it. It does surprise me though, because I think when you break compassion down, it's not necessarily like a pleasant feeling. I don't think you know, like it's not a happy feeling, it's not a happy emotion, it's not one that I would associate with like ooh, so relaxed and free of cortisol and <laughs> also looking younger and and more fresh, like a daisy um like when I think about compassion it's it's like you're coming up against. Either your own suffering or other people's suffering and uh, feeling empathy with that and taking action towards that. And while I can see that that might feel good to a certain extent, it's it's not it's not exactly like I think an enjoyable experience, ironically, even though I think we tend to categorize compassion in kind of the big old bag of like positive emotions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that's something that I'm hoping our listeners Stick with us on this episode because, yeah, compassion isn't this sexy thing to advertise because it's not about escapism. It's not about suddenly you're going to feel great all the time, but it has been shown to have these very drastic kind of overall holistic effects on your well-being because part of the compassion exercises they were doing in this, and we're actually going to learn one of them toward the end of this episode. Um, But the exercises they did is not just about feeling compassion, but also about then what do you do with that? How do you how do you enact that in your life in a way that is positive? And I think that's where the big change happens.
1: I just wanted to take a second and talk about like the difference between gratitude and compassion then, because I think gratitude. Yeah, gratitude tends to be thought of in this way of like okay be grateful for three things today and and doing that over and over again will just kind of infuse your life with you know more happiness and betterness and stuff but the way in which we're talking about compassion is that that's not necessarily the case that maybe over much over a long period of time it will be better for you overall but it's not going to be that like quick fix of like, oh, I'm thinking about how much I love my cat right now, or I'm thinking about how <laughs> grateful I am, you know, for the roof over my head or something. It, it's a different thing. It's not as personalized. It's more outward rather than inward. And I think the the other key part of it is
0: that compassion involves action. Like in the definition mm. that Dedeker read from Wikipedia, it's then about then doing compassionate things and enacting compassion in the world. And from The research and the studies that I read about in preparing this episode, that's where a lot of the benefits come from, actually, is not just in thinking about compassion, but in doing compassion.
1: Yeah, that's a different distinction, I think, than Uh, gratitude, which is Uh, like, let me just think about it and, mm -hmm. and be grateful for something and then that'll yeah. make my life better. Yeah, yeah I like that, a, that I'm, distinction. Yeah,
0: I'm glad that you brought that up because that, yeah. that is an important distinction to make that we haven't made clear yet in this episode.
1: Yeah, w- where I think some people might initially think that they're the same thing, but they're not. Yeah, good point.
2: Well, let's talk about what does that look like in relationship specifically? You know, what does it look like in a relationship where compassion is a norm versus where it's not so much of a norm? I, I mean, I feel like... If we're looking at kind of the negative side of this, of like relationships where there's low compassion between partners, of course, it seems like there's a huge spectrum there, right? You know, we could go all the way to intense abuse and probably theorize that there's probably not a lot of compassion going on there. Mm -hmm. But I feel like when we start getting away from that kind of end of the spectrum into more more normal everyday examples, what do you all think?
1: Well, the idea that your partner is kind of out to get you. I know that Mm -hmm. I've used that example a lot, but... But there are times in a relationship where something happens that's triggering to you in a way, and automatically you go to, well, my partner is actively hurting me, rather than having maybe compassion for, oh, well, maybe they had a rough day at work or something, or maybe I need to internally look at how I'm feeling right now and why I'm triggered by X, Y, or Z thing.
2: Something along those lines, perhaps. Yeah. Again, I want to put in the caveat of like, not an abusive situation, though. Sure. You know, because I don't want anyone to think that they need to compassion their way out of an abusive situation.
0: Yes. Well, yeah. And I think let's get to that in a second, because I think that that healthy compassion is different from what some people might think of as compassion, which is kind of letting everyone get away with everything and not having any boundaries. And so I do want to be clear that, that that's not That's not healthy compassion either. So I do Mm -hmm. think that's worth looking at the extremes there. But like on the low compassion end, I think a situation that can come up where low compassion can be involved, even in an otherwise fairly healthy relationship, is when it gets challenged when both of you are under stress at the same time. But it's easy to get in your own head about your own stress, but assume that no one else must be feeling as stressed as you are like with your partner while the kids are screaming in the back seat and it makes you more tense or irritated with each other or well, I was thinking, Dedeker, when you and I were trying to find an Uber after we went to a concert in L.A. And you ended up walking for like Been 45 there. minutes. Oh, my God. Uh, find,
1: like, exact <laughs>
2: same thing has happened to me. There was a lot of suffering that night. <laughs> there was a yeah. lot of suffering.
1: But it's like <laughs> 1 a.m. What the hell? You can't find an <laughs> right. Uber to save your life.
0: <clears throat> right. And, and we ended up getting kind of short with each other during that and had to kind of take a couple moments to be like, OK, like this is we're both feeling this we're both stressed about this this isn't something that the other is doing to us like we're in this together um so i I think that's sort of an example of when compassion can be running short
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i I feel like um if you feel like in your relationship there's no flexibility in the agreements that you make if Mm -hmm. there's rigidity in the relationship i see this come up i mean I see this come up a lot with clients, but I've also been there if I'm being totally honest, but, you know, sometimes in a relationship that's maybe more toxic or not working out so great, there can be this compulsion to like um, really bend over backwards with the emotional labor just in order to be able to have the relationship function. And I do feel like that's sometimes a product of not having a lot of compassion or empathy for each other, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. not having flexibility really, or not having kind of that ability to kind of give leeway or benefit of the doubt to your partner?
0: Yeah, I think our society kind of teaches us that a lack of compassion is acceptable or normal, too, in the way that our companies work, that we, the companies that we interact with every day, I have this memory of talking to a company where like, they renewed my service when I didn't want them to, and they said they'd emailed me about it, and I said they didn't. You know, one of those, we've all been in some version of that situation, right?
1: Entertainment Weekly, I swear <laughs> <to> God. <laughs> how many times they've like, re-upped my thing and I didn't uh, want it. Right. Yeah. So, And I was talking
0: on the phone with the customer service person, and their answer to everything kept being like, well, the system says this, and this is this is the rules. There's nothing I can do. And I, at one point, I was like, okay, you keep saying that, but corporations aren't these entities that run themselves as much as we treat them that way. Like, there's humans there. You're a human. I'm a human. Like, let me talk to someone else then who can do something about this. And eventually I did. It took me several days of talking with customer support on this. Um, but this was going to be like a few thousand dollars worth of money that I didn't Whoa. want to spend. Uh, anyway, the point is, though, that we're kind of taught to think that way. That sort of like, well, that's the rules. There's nothing I can do about it. And I think we tend to do that in our relationships if we rely on rules, too, of this like, well, no, that's these, these are the rules we made. We both signed these agreements or whatever it is. So tough, you know, that's there's nothing I can do.
1: These have been sort of examples of like somebody doing something to you. But I think personally, also with unhealthy compassion in relationships, you personally may feel like it is your job to fix your partner's feelings or emotions or their bad mood or the way that they're acting, et cetera, et cetera. And that can be an example of unhealthy compassion in your relationship. Right. That's what we were talking about before that, like, yeah, we might say, oh, you're being
0: so compassionate and understanding of them when in reality you're kind of taking responsibility too much for their feelings or taking mm-hmm. everything they do personally and kind of lacking a compassion for yourself or sort of a healthy balance with that, too. So, yeah, that's a good example.
1: So let's move on to what examples of more healthy compassion and relationships look like. I Initially, when I thought of this, I was thinking of just... Uh, two metamors finally getting to meet each other for the first time and Mm -hmm. like having a face to a name as opposed to just this faceless person out there that you're very frightened of but being able to like actually meet someone and see someone and have compassion for them and perhaps what they have going on in their lives and just recognizing the humanity in each other Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. I've seen some really, really beautiful things come out of working with clients on on this kind of stuff of situations where maybe as metamores, we feel a little bit competitive or maybe we didn't start out on the right foot. But when we're finally able to kind of recognize each other's suffering to a certain Mm -hmm. extent and give each other some leeway, um, that some really, really fantastic, wonderful things have come out of that. I think that's a really good example.
0: Yeah. I mean, if I can be real philosophical for a moment.
1: Oh please do by all means <laughs> <laughs> that i
0: think that it, at least in my opinion i feel like what we've talked before on this show about humanizing other people and kind of once you recognize that other people are humans too that things things change, right? You stop feeling quite as much like they're out to get you all the time, or that they must have all their stuff together. And I'm the one who's a mess. You know, we have lots of different versions of this. But I feel like part of that, what we mean by recognizing the humanity in someone else is really this compassion. It's like noticing how we both suffer in similar ways. I don't know. I think there's something kind of beautiful about that, that like, that's, part of the human experience, I guess.
2: Yeah, definitely. But I think part of that is, I do think part of having like a healthy sense of compassion in relationships is that you're able to maintain healthy boundaries. Your partner's Mm -hmm. also able to maintain healthy boundaries. um, And they are boundaries that are there and are enforced, but they're not needed as a defense at all times, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Like we talked about in our conversation with Mia Schachter, of this idea of like, if you're to the point where you're having to really get into like, well, whose responsibility is it? This, this boundary is getting crossed and whatever. Like we've, we're already way too far past where we should be for a healthy relationship here. That like boundaries are kind of this last line of defense and not, not something that should be like the constant thing that you're bouncing up against with your partner. And I think that if that is happening, a lack of compassion or, or, you know, this sort of unhealthy, too much compassion kind of a thing. I almost don't want to call that compassion, but this,
1: you know, sort of over. over um, it's like noble oh. suffering, like I'm so noble for suffering more. Right. It's like trying to do
0: their suffering for them rather than trying yeah. to alleviate suffering. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ironically, making more suffering not only for yourself, but also probably for them because of the toll that that takes on you. In a relationship with healthy compassion, going both directions, you still have boundaries and you can still be clear with your partner about what it is that you want and what you expect. But if as long as this compassion is actually happening both ways in the relationship, there's also like a certain trust that my partner isn't going to just do as much as they can get away with. And I think that's a belief we've been taught about relationships mm. that's also very unhealthy in any kind of relationship, whether it's monogamous or polyamorous or, or anything. Right. This idea that, well, if left, if left unchecked without rules to keep us in place, we would get away with as much as we possibly could. And I think that's based on this idea that none of us have compassion. And that's a, a shitty world. And those are not relationships that I want to have.
1: Totally. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're going to continue on with our discussion on compassion and ways in which you can enact it in your own life. But first, we are going to talk about some ways that you can show us compassion by giving back to this show so that we can continue to give it to you for free. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and
0: we
1: lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest
1: registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. All right. So we have a sense of a little bit about what compassion is and why, why it might be important. And I think we'll keep delving into this a little bit more, but something that we need to talk about is why is it hard? Why is it so freaking hard? Because a lot of people out there on the sort of more woo woo side of the internet talked about oh, compassion's so natural. It's like our natural state. It's, you know, it's this, and I, I love it. I love that idea, but it doesn't Feel very true in daily life, at least not sometimes. I think sometimes it does. Um, Drive
1: on the LA road and like it never feels (laughs) like it's something that people around here think of or care about. Right, right. And
0: so I guess to start off on that, I think something is that I do think compassion in our modern day is harder. Interestingly, I actually think it's getting a little bit easier, but I think something that makes compassion harder,
2: but harder than what? Harder than when?
0: Then in the days when we lived where everyone that we knew and interacted with in our life was in a community of people that we knew face to face, that we knew their names and their families and that sort of thing. Right. Which was all of our existence up until just the last maybe a few hundred years, probably less than that, even. Um. Of And then especially as we moved into this time where we're in cars, where when you bump into someone in a line, there's at least like a human and a face there. But when it's a car, it's just this car. They're not a human. They're just this sort of thing out there that's out to get you. It's easier to, to not have compassion for those people, right? Because there's a barrier between us. And then with the internet, um, this actually, I remember years ago, learning about this study Talking about uh, flaming on the internet is what it oh, was gosh. referred Back to at the flaming. time. Yeah.
2: When it was flaming. Gosh, what's yeah.
0: that? Uh, we call it being a normal person on the internet now. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs>
0: uh, flaming flaming was a term for just being super aggressive and mean, basically. Hmm. Uh, of just erupting in flames, as it were. It used to be called flaming. is when you were just an asshole on the internet. And... Like getting overly emotional and attacking people, essentially. And uh, as part of this study, they were looking at the difference between when you're interacting with people and having a discussion on a difficult topic face to face versus having that same discussion through a computer screen. And basically looking now, at Now, why
2: did they need to study this, <laughs> first well, of all? I, I can tell you the results right now. Exactly. I think <laughs>
0: we can all tell you the results right now. Uh, and that's because this was in the 90s or whatever.
1: Anyway, so...
2: Oh, okay. That makes sense. Before it was... We were human yeah, innocent
0: yeah, back yeah, then. Right. Before we, didn't we know. knew. We didn't know. We didn't know what the, the
1: internet <laughs> was going to bring <laughs> us. The
0: hell that we had unleashed on ourselves. Uh, but I remember at the time, kind of when this research was going on and when... You know, people on the news were loving to talk about this sort of stuff. One of the things that they were mentioning was about emoji. And this was when we were first starting to use the little sideways smiley face emoticon. So not even emoji. That hadn't been invented yet. But they were talking about using those sorts of things added just this hint of humanness, of like human facial expressions to it, and that that elevated sort of the degree of nuance that we could use to communicate and sort of the degree of humanness that we could use to communicate. And I think it's not surprising if you look at that, why now emoji is there's, there's tons of emoji and that that's a pre-made thing and it comes on all our phones and all our devices. And it's like built into it because it's like, yes, we need this because the internet strips away a lot of our humanness from each other. So we need these little things to add it back in. And the reason why I said I think it might be getting a little bit better is that as internet bandwidth and technology has increased, we do have more of the ability to do video calls and have our faces attached to things like do little things to add a little bit of the human back in. So we're not just all our, you know, 90s hacker usernames mm. in a chat room.
2: I mean, I think we could debate this. <laughs> we, we because... could.
0: <laughs> I think we at least have the option now. Right, I mean, Reddit is still the trash pile that is Reddit because it's just usernames and text, you know. Um, but anyway, this, I feel like we got off track here. <laughs> but I think what makes it hard is that it's easy to get focused on our own suffering and then assume that everyone else is neutral. So if they're ever being short or being a jerk, well, they're just doing that because they're a jerk and not because they're going through something. Whereas I think we will sometimes feel very vindicated in being a jerk to others because it's like, oh, well, I've had this terrible day or like nothing's going my way. Or, you know, we might not say it to ourselves in such trite terms, but we kind of think like, oh yeah, I was justified in being like that, but we don't ever give anyone else the idea that they might be justified, even if it had nothing to do with us. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's just one of our quite natural cognitive biases is that we're much more likely to kind of give ourselves a pass for bad behavior or having a hard time than we are to give to somebody else, whether that's a stranger on the internet or our own partners. Yeah. So something that I think that's definitely come up for me as, as for, you know, thinking about why compassion is so freaking hard. Um, I, I don't have a lot of self-compassion and really? I've definitely learned you say really like you're super surprised. Yeah, well, Jason's shaking I his head. <laughs> Emily surprised. <laughs> <I am. laughs> Not that you. Well, like now let I have some your... questions about no, the, the vastly and, and different ways that both of you are perceiving me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not that you like let yourself off the hook all the time, but I think you have. You're just like you have a lot of self-efficacy, and so for whatever reason, that's I think that those, those two like go that's hand in different. hand. Different, yeah. I do
2: because I would be more likely to agree with you. Yeah, I do think I have some high self-efficacy, but compassion. Maybe you just don't don't let
1: yourself off the hook for, I don't know, taking a day off or something, for for nothing For
2: nothing. nothing. Or like, yeah,
1: (laughs) you're really diligent to basically everything. Sure. Okay, fine.
2: Well, okay. Something I've learned about myself, and I'm constantly learning this many times over, uh, that basically the extent to which... I am not compassionate with myself or I'm harsh with myself or critical of myself or judgmental of myself is pretty much the same extent to which I am all those same things to everyone else in the world. Um, There's, there's pretty much, it's almost like a one-to-one really. Um, And so I've learned that I haven't done much about it, but I have learned it (laughs) that that's a thing (laughs) Is it something that you want to do something about? I do. Yes, I do. There's a reason why I freaking like meditate and try to go down these Buddhist rabbit holes. It's not just for funsies. (laughs) It's not just because I'm bored. It's there's a purpose here behind all this. Um, Anyway, I don't think I'm the only person with that problem of having a lack of self-compassion. I think this is a perpetual problem with a lot of people. Um, I don't know why that is. We could wax poetic or philosophic about Uh, what it is about our particular culture that encourages people to not be very self-compassionate, but we don't got to go there right now. Um, I do think that one factor of that is that our culture often encourages us to focus on the differences between ourselves and others, you know, and to focus on the separation between ourselves and others. Um, I think especially in American culture and Western culture, that's so individualistic and with this high, high emphasis on independence that that does sometimes breed a sense of not really needing to have compassion for other people as well. There's less of the sense of a collective, less of a sense of shared suffering, I think. It's a lot about our individual suffering. Um, and I think that's also supported by the fact that the media that we consume, I don't mean like the news media necessarily, but I mean like just the media we consume for entertainment, I think for a long time has required us to turn off compassion in order to enjoy it. I don't know about all y'all, but I do feel like the older I've gotten, the harder and harder time I have with watching violent things or scary things or sad and depressing things. Um, Mm. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's just from having more trauma or, or maybe slowly eventually getting more empathy as I get older, but I know I have a much harder time with that these days.
0: Yeah. This is something I've been thinking about a lot recently. This, this kind of in order to enjoy a lot of media, we we have to turn off our empathy, at least, if not our compassion. And God, I was just thinking about this when Dedeker and I, we were watching an episode of the Highlander, the series. from back in the U.S. This is uh, it's been our been our lockdown date hey, time. I've been,
1: <laughs> I've been watching TNG, so. Oh, really? She, Next Generation? Wow. Yeah, it's
2: great.
0: Nice.
1: Catch and the card.
2: Dang. <laughs> I didn't, so, know, I, kn- I didn't know that we were both going down this kind of, like, 90s TV show nostalgia. That yeah. It's, that's it's true like, together.
1: 80s into 90s, but yes, totally. I'll
2: wow. say about Highlander, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, I guess Highlander well. started in 92, so we're...
2: Mm. But the movie was in 86?
0: Mm, that's true, we did watch all the movies, or the first three movies so far.
2: <laughs> we're still wow. working on it. Anyway, wow. this, is, this is
0: not our Highlander podcast, although stay tuned for that. Um <laughs>
1: Don't, no. give him, <laughs> don't give him any rope here. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. So what I was saying, though, is we were watching this episode and kind of the core theme of this episode was that our hero, Duncan McLeod was with his friends. And this guy came in to try to get vengeance on one of those people. And so the conversation was sort of about this, like, no, 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 you can't just go take your vengeance. Like, this is a person. We need due process. We need to... You know, see how this is going to go. You can't just take justice into your own hands like that sort of was the message. And yet immediately after that, our hero who is making that argument goes on through the episode, killing mercilessly all of the bad (laughs) guys, henchmen who I'm assuming were just hired men who are here to help their friend. Right. And so it's this weird like we've we're trying to have this compassion for one character whose name we know and who's had some lines and then we immediately have to turn it off and completely ignore that compassion for all these unnamed people that we're killing. And and if you think about that like that's all of our movies and media like action movies and, and the stuff Bible. like that, right? And the, and the Bible and Shakespeare and right it's this has been a long time. We've been doing this one a long time. If they're not <laughs> our heroes, we turn off that compassion and if they are, we're supposed to turn it on. And I think if we didn't turn off our compassion, it might just drive us crazy. Like it would be, it would be too much to handle. So it's like, we do need to have that skill, unfortunately, just to survive in the world where we have access to learn about all the horrible things happening all over the world. Yet. I think we can go too far where we lose our ability to, to have that and turn it back on.
1: I don't know if y'all saw the movie Okja, but that shit was really hard for me to watch because it's about, the meat industry to a degree it it Mm. is in essence yeah and they have a whole scene of you know animal killing and it's really awful and but it feels similar to that in a way that i guess we each have Mm. our compassions that we that are easier or more difficult for us to turn on and off and yeah of course when you when you watch lord of the rings and you know, see Gandalf riding through and all of the killing of orcs and human alike and other beings, then, yeah, it's easy to just kind of see a crowd and... Not even think about what's happening there.
2: I mean, we could get into a nerdy debate about whether or not orcs are worthy of compassion at all. Um, well, but I don't know. Poof. I guess Sorry, maybe I'm, not. Also, I'm in the middle of rereading Lord of the Rings right now, so I am primed. I'm primed to have, <laughs> She'll this have this debate. All right.
1: Well, well, I will have it. Stay
0: tuned for our Compassion in the Lord of the Rings podcast. That'll be separate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there he goes again. Yes. <laughs> I Well, you kind of touched on this a little bit, Dedeker, but because we are such an individualistic society, we also are. We're a very competitive society, and we value a lot of competition in our lives over this, like cooperation. Over what, it, to me, I think of like in in more Eastern culture or in Asia, because all three of us have lived in Asia for various times. And thinking about how very much it's like the collective there, as opposed to just the individual, and that that it, it puts you in a different mindset when you are amongst that. I think. Oh, that's kind I, of dependent
2: on culture. I don't want to make a blanket statement about all of Asia. No, of um, course. I'm thinking yeah. of China
1: and Japan, which yeah. yeah, we've been to for sure. Um, but yeah, and and also we I think as a society are taught to view people as like good or bad. Um and I that's think our, it. our movies black do that too. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like they're the bad guys so you don't have to have compassion for them.
1: Totally. I
0: Okay, <laughs> did either of you ever watch the like DVD bonus features for it was one of the Austin Powers movies from way back. I right? can't say that I have, but okay, so what about it? I, I remember this like <laughs> this was actually very upsetting to me. I know it's supposed to be funny and I guess it's more of this sort of British sort of funny. Um, but <laughs> the, OK, it was these little bonus scenes where they were after scenes in the movies where henchmen get killed. In random ways, like getting knocked into the pool with all the mutant piranhas in it or getting rolled over with the steamroller. Or do you remember these things? And they were like these comedic, silly scenes in the movies. And then they cut to they have this whole scene that they filmed with a lot of the actors from the movie for like the bonus content on the DVD of them like calling their families and telling them and having their funerals and being all sad about this person dying. And it's, Jeez. it's done in this kind of over the top way. And it's a little bit funny, I guess, but I remember watching this as a high schooler with my friends, maybe even a middle schooler. I forget how old I was at the time, but being like legitimately upset by it and being like, yeah. <laughs> oh, this, this reminder sucks. that oh, these people are like, human beings. also Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. that just popped into my head right there. of This like, like the the fact that in that bonus, they were essentially making a joke out of the fact that we don't have compassion for these characters, which in itself is maybe kind of a kind of an amazing statement.
2: Yeah, I think. Who is it? It's um oh, gosh, I'm going to forget the comedian's name. Uh, uh, Dimitri Martin, who makes that joke about like we should make a video game about all the people that you kill in these very violent video games and call it super busy hospital. Oh my
1: gosh. (laughs) That's terrible. Also kind of that same
2: same level of humor of like kind of making this dark joke about the fact that we don't really have compassion necessarily. That's why
1: I prefer Zelda and Mario. So if you are killing something, it's like a weird orc type of
2: thing again <laughs> okay that's the subset of our podcast is like okay. do goombas deserve compassion or empathy i i don't know
1: right. i don't i don't think so
0: yeah on the, the philosophy bad of philosophy of goombas podcast
1: yeah <laughs> what about bowser <laughs> bowser always comes back so uh, uh-huh.
0: yeah um okay all right before we go too far off topic on all our other podcasts we're gonna make <laughs> what does um, a healthy balance look like so I'd say, first of all, just to kind of sum up a lot of what we've talked about so far is that compassion, having compassion doesn't equal letting anyone else do whatever to you and not having boundaries. It it doesn't mean always forgiving people, no matter what they do to you. You know, that that's not what we're talking about here. And I do want that to be clear, because I feel like sometimes when people have um concerns about compassion or people who try to teach compassion that's kind of the place they come from it's like oh what so i should have stayed with my abusive ex and just had compassion for him it's like no no no. that's not not the same thing not the same thing so that's that's number one
2: yeah um i i always try to encourage people and encourage myself honestly to like compassionately have a firm boundary You know, um, and I think that a lot of people I know myself for sure for a long time, kind of default to this sense of like, if I enforce a boundary, that's automatically going to be conflict or it's automatically going to be the end of my relationship. That may be true. That may very well be true. But also, you know, when you have a boundary and you need to let someone know it doesn't have to be combative, it doesn't have to be mean, it doesn't have to be aggressive necessarily, like it is possible to be very compassionate while still saying no, or while still saying this is a boundary for me.
0: Or even when having a breakup of, you know, you don't have to make them the bad guy. In order to have an excuse to break up it, you know, you could still have compassion while doing that. I know that can be hard, but yeah, that's a good example.
1: Why don't you like the term forgiveness?
0: Oh, I wrote that in the notes, didn't I?
1: Yeah, I feel like
0: this is we'll, we'll do a whole nother podcast about that. I, I think I just <laughs> I, I just find the whole concept to be just a very slippery slope when there's a lot of people like to talk about the power of forgiveness and what have you. And I think that I don't like that term because I I don't think it's specific enough. I feel like Mm. it kind of has a lot of different meanings because we talk about things like debt forgiveness, meaning, well, that money's just gone now you're not going to get it back because you've forgiven that debt. Or we talk about like, forgiveness for something meaning there's now no penalty for it but then we also talk about forgiveness in sort of the religious sense or more of the philosophical sense of like not holding on to hurt that someone else has caused you and we and we call that forgiveness I guess I just don't like that it it it's, it's so, so not specific yeah yeah because I think some of those things can be healthy and some can be unhealthy so I don't like saying like just forgive people so let's try to also not maybe equate compassion with forgiveness, necessarily, because that's not a very specific thing.
1: Okay, well, a good balance of compassion and, I guess, sticking to your guns and having healthy boundaries is the realization that we can't control how other people treat us. And this is something that I feel like I've come more to terms with as I've gotten older, too, And maybe some people out there are just like, fuck it, like, I'm I don't give a shit anymore. Like, things can roll off of me a little bit more easily. And maybe that can be true as well. But also understanding that you can decrease some of the extra suffering that you experience. Maybe if somebody is unkind to you simply by having compassion for them.
2: And And also for yourself.
1: Yeah. And for yourself. And then, yeah, when we call someone out, then that might also be compassionate in a way because we can be doing it with the intention of helping them change. That's very difficult for me. I'm not good at calling people out that often. <laughs> but yeah, in time or or maybe I'm just like, let me wrap that up in a really nice bow and try to make it look not like I'm calling you out <laughs> in any way. Uh, well, but and, and it is important to do it for various reasons.
0: Depending on the situation, that might be the more compassionate way. I think the thing with with calling out or calling in or whatever you want to call it, like it's possible to do that in a very destructive, hurtful, not compassionate way. And honestly, that's the way I see it done most of the time. And it sucks and it sucks. I think it especially sucks because. A lot of people assume, like, "Oh, this is a thing I've been told is a good thing to do, so I'm going to do it, and now I get to feel good about myself, even if it's being done with no compassion or like, and yeah. with and yeah, it's done unskillfully, as they say in in Buddhism, uh, right? So I think it's it's an opportunity if you are finding yourself in a situation where you do want to call someone out or come to someone's defense, whether that's online or in person with a coworker or something is that there is a way to do that that's compassionate and there's a way to do that that's not compassionate. Okay, so now the moment we've all been waiting for. (laughs) Some exercises. How do we actually freaking do this? How do we do this? Like it all sounds great and it's fine to sit here and listen to this podcast and go, yeah, I'll be compassionate to, you know, someone who cuts me in line at the store because I don't know what they've got going on and I don't want to suffer extra for myself because of them right and i also don't want them to suffer even more and then cause more suffering for other people that's all well and good to think it but then it's hard to actually do it in real life sometimes um so the first exercise that we want to talk about here is this one involves a certain you, you kind of have to catch yourself first so maybe it's easier to do after the fact like, say, say something like that happened where someone cut you in line um, and you, you get upset about it, regardless of how you acted, whether you didn't say anything, whether you got angry at them, whatever happened. When you think about this later is to challenge yourself to think about what do me and this other person have in common. And the mantra with this, what I like about it is that this applies to everybody. And so it goes like this. You just say, just like me, this person is seeking happiness in their life. And then step two is, just like me, this person is trying to avoid suffering in their life. Step three, just like me, this person has known sadness, loneliness, and despair. Step four, just like me, this person is seeking to fill their needs. And step five, just like me, this person is learning about life. And what I love about this. Yeah, I love that it's just it's so simple. And yet, if you actually try and do it, and I recommend actually try this, like, try this thinking about thinking about someone who's done a, a small hurt to you. Right. Like they were just a little rude. They said something unkind, something small, like start low stakes. Right. And just try going through this. um, And uh, maybe we'll we'll put this in the show notes. If you go to our website, you can find this. But um, it's just recognizing that they're also seeking happiness. They're also trying to avoid suffering in their life. They've also known sadness, loneliness and despair. They're also trying to fulfill their needs. And they're also learning just like you are.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of something that the Gottman Institute actually—they uh, have this. It's just this tiny little tool that they kind of throw away. Honestly, like they just kind of stick it in as an afterthought on some of their exercises and stuff like that. But I think about it a lot, and it, it feels very similar to this kind of commonalities exercise, which is specifically when you're in conflict or you're trying to work out conflict with your partner the things that your partner that you think your partner is like doing wrong or being bad at or in some way, you know, see if you can find those qualities in yourself as well. Or if you can think of a time when you had those qualities as well. And likewise, the things that you feel like you're doing right. And the reason why you feel like you're righteous and the feelings that you feel like are mostly justified. See if you can see those qualities or those feelings in your partner as well. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as far as the tool goes, obviously, it's not necessarily going to like fix all your conflict right then and there, but it does help to create this foundation of compassion that hopefully will help you be able to unknit that a little bit easier and from a little bit more of a generous place, perhaps.
0: Yeah, and, I, and the reason why I said, try this first, maybe after the fact, after some little thing has happened that you noticed yourself get upset about is because it gets you in the habit, like it gets you to just try it at all right? Because the, the first, like the challenge is just getting your mind to even think these thoughts at all. And once you've done that, maybe, especially if something else happens that's similar to that, you've practiced having these thoughts, you know? So the next time someone cuts you in line, maybe there'll be that pathway in your brain that goes, oh, right, those things. I still might say something about it, but maybe I will do it in a more compassionate way, understanding that they've also got their own stuff going on so that's kind of the idea behind that one is just this little exercise you can do to just notice what you and that other person have in common or, or like the Gottman version of it too or it's just like the reasons you feel so justified imagine applying those to the other person
2: yeah similarly another exercise um, is something like meta meditation or loving kindness meditation uh, we talked about Meta meditation, specifically meta for your metamors. Uh, in our first episode that we did with Annalisa, um, talking about applying Buddhist principles to non-monogamous relationships, um, I think if you Google loving kindness meditation or meta meditation, you'll and that's find meta a with lot of
0: two Ts. Two
2: Ts, yeah. You'll find a lot of instruction. Um, the most common version of a meta meditation practice is that you first offer loving kindness to yourself. Then you offer loving kindness to someone that you care about, who's close to you, an ally of yours. Then you offer loving kindness to an acquaintance. Then you offer loving kindness to like someone that you have um no feeling about whatsoever, someone who's very neutral, and then you offer loving kindness to an enemy, someone that you have a hard time with, and then you offer loving kindness to the world at large. I, I think I may have mixed up a few of those steps, but you get my drift. That's supposed to start with. Yourself first, the thinking, I think, originally being that it's easiest to love yourself. And then you kind of go progressively harder from out there.
0: Yeah. Something if that first step is hard, offering it to yourself. A lot of times I've seen this taught of starting by offering it to someone who's very easy for you to feel compassion for, like a, a, a puppy or a kitty or a baby <laughs> or, you know, someone your in child. your life who it's yeah. easy for you to think those thoughts about. And then yourself, because yeah. sometimes that's not so easy.
2: Yeah. And so so that's, you know, kind of the new I think the newer modern day version is kind of doing the gateway of, mm. yeah, starting with someone where it's easy to actually have those feelings for. And as far as what it actually entails, um you know, for some people, it entails just kind of thinking and feeling it. Usually the practice entails kind of saying a mantra, you know, something along the lines of May you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, may you be at ease. Um, if those things resonate for you, great. I my own meta meditation practice i I uh, customized many years ago to say things that resonated more with me, both when I was directing it towards myself and towards others. So I highly recommend people uh, play with that to kind of figure out what actually feels significant and useful for you as well.
1: Yeah. so the next one is going to be finding small acts of kindness. Uh, And first, you realize that everyone is suffering, absolutely everyone on this planet, in one way or another. Uh, All beings really are in one way or another. And you think of, what is something small that I can do to help ease someone else's suffering? And then you do that for someone, which could be really simple, like holding a door open for someone, smiling at someone might be a little bit harder with our masks on but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's something kind in that way or or letting someone go ahead of you uh, a kind word to someone listening if someone needs you know a, a shoulder to cry on or just someone to hear them in that moment uh, even like doing a chore for someone or being understanding of a person who's close to you that's in a bad mood in that moment
2: yeah, I feel like all these things, we've gotten so much messaging, I think, from the time we were children about like small acts of kindness and being kind to people and things like that. Pay I think it the forward. real. Yeah, and paying it forward and stuff like that. I think the real challenge here, because I think it's easy on a cognitive level to be like, yeah, sure, totally. Yeah, definitely. You know, we should all do that. Um, I think the real challenge is more in unknitting our habits around the moments when we don't give kindness necessarily. Hmm. You know, like unknitting our habits around the, around what we do in the moments when it's hard to be kind to somebody in a in a small way, you know, um, like when you're busy and you're kind of like power walking down the street to get to somewhere. Like, would you still open a door for someone or let someone go first or, you, you know? know, yeah, cutting
1: someone off in traffic or, yeah. you know, being really upset? That's what right. I do if somebody is rude to you in traffic Mm -hmm. I'm great when you're face to face, but not
2: (laughs) not when there's that wall of cars between you. And I think the same thing in your relationships is, is just taking note of like, when are the times when you have difficulty having compassion for a partner, you know, or difficulty being kind to a partner, again, kind of starting on this small scale, I think just to make it a little bit easier, you know, but I, I think that's a really interesting exercise of first kind of getting aware of. What are our habits around the times when we kind of slip out of kindness and compassion?
0: Yeah, there's um, a particular I I forget the name of it right now, but there's um, like a, a compassion course that I was hearing about recently that ends the course with this challenge to I forget if it's just one day or if it's like for a week, but basically every day you think about and come up with something that you can do. To, to better the world. Right. And it's and it's not like, oh, gosh, I've got to, you know, sell all my belongings and, you know, move to some other country and build wells or something. But it's just it could be something little as well. It's kind of sort of whatever's possible for you is to think about, like, what good could I be doing and then do it and just commit to this certain amount of time of doing that, whether that's donating to a charity or, you know, picking up litter or opening a door for someone or, you know, it could be any of these things we've been talking about of just thinking like, what is in my power to do right now? And what basically what they find when people actually do this is that it's, it's addictive because it feels good. And I, and there's, you know, we talked before about the research. There's been lots of research showing that, that we actually can be just as happy or happier To do these sorts of acts of kindness, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, donating or any of the things we've talked about, then like just as happy as receiving a gift or money, sometimes even happier. So it's like you, you are also getting a benefit from this and hopefully then also creating kind of this ripple effect that goes outward, making even more of that. So for our listeners, if you feel interested, give that a try. And see what it feels like to find what that is, whether that's, you know, doing any of those things that we talked about. Um, Maybe right now while you're stuck at home, something like donating even a little bit to a charity could be a great way to do that. Uh, I also wanted to mention just real quick for those of you who are interested, uh, there's an app called Healthy Minds Program and it's uh, an app it's through some organization that's part of a university and the reason why i recommend it is because it's free for individuals like if you're using it for your company they want you to pay for it but for any individual it's totally free. There's no like upsells inside of it. It's not like all the meditation apps out there that then want you to pay extra for all the different meditations. Uh, this is actually, it's totally free. Uh, I, I've used it a little bit and it's been nice. So just something if you're struggling might be a good resource for you. All right, so in our bonus We're going to go on and we're going to talk about one more exercise for um, offering compassion, as well as discussing that a little bit more, some more nuance and some of our own experiences. And so if you're a patron, we would love to see you there for that bonus episode. We would also love to hear from all of you. What's your relationship to compassion been like in your life? Do you feel like it's something you've gotten more of or less of as you've gotten older? And uh, what did you think about this episode? Was there some amazing technique that we missed out that you want to share with people? We would love for you to share that and share it with us. The best place to do that is to share your thoughts with other listeners on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or our Discord chat. You can get access to those groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. Or you can share with everyone publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.